Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima 'allamtana wa 'allimna ma yanfa'una warzuqna 'ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbal alamin. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wahlul 'uqdatam min lisani yafqahu qawli. We continue with the chapter of Adhan from the book of Salah uh, tonight and we will end this chapter bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So our first hadith for the evening reads from Uthman ibn Abil Aas radiyallahu anhu annahu qala ya Rasulullah ija'anni imam qawmi. This man Uthman, the son of Abu Aas, sahabi, he said ya Rasulullah make me the imam of my people. Qala anta imamuhum. Rasulullah said to him, then you are the imam. You will be the, you have to be your people's imam. Waqtadi bi'adafihim. And pay attention to those who are weakest amongst your people. The weakest of them. But pay attention to them. Wattakhid mu'adhinan la ya'khudu ala adhanihi ajra. And choose an mu'adhin. A mu'adhin who will not take any payment for his adhan who will not any to will not take any payment for his adhan this hadith is by the five imams narrated and hasanahu at-tirmidhi and authenticated by al-hakim so firstly this man he said he asked he sought permission from the prophet to become the imam of his people and so rasulullah said to him you are then the Imam. So remember, the Prophet is the leader of all the Muslims. This is his right. If he puts somebody in charge of something, then that becomes that person's duty. So he put this man in charge of making salah with, over his people. And then he said to him, pay attention to those who are weakest, ad'af, the weakest of them. Meaning what? That when it comes to salah, you're the Imam for salah. Which means if there are certain people that prefer to make salah in a lengthy manner by lengthening the qiraat, by lengthening the sujood and the ruku' then this is something good. But if there are others who struggle, if there are others who cannot make salah like this, then you give them the preference. Pay attention to them and not to the, the stronger ones. Give them the preference, look after them. And then he said to him, take a mu'adhin that will not take a stipend or a wage for his adhan. Okay? Meaning no money, no clothing, no nothing. Just let him do the adhan and that's it. No house, etc. From the benefits of the hadith is, firstly, Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says, Jawazu talabul imama. It's permissible for somebody to seek or to ask for imama, to become the imam. It's actually permissible for a person to come to a masjid or to a leader or to somebody in charge. They say the committee, for example, and say, look, can you make me the imam of the masjid? This is something that is permissible because this happened. And the Prophet ﷺ allowed this with this man, Uthman, and he in fact made him the imam. Of course, the intention here is vital. You don't become the imam because you're looking for fame, because you want people to stand behind you, you want to be known. Beautiful voice, qira'ah, etc. No. You know that you are capable of being an imam. 
you know that you are capable of reciting the Quran properly, of you know the rules of salah, you know the fiqh of salah, and you see yourself as being capable and completely fit to be the imam. And perhaps your area, your masjid, your town, your city is in need of somebody. So let's say somebody comes from outside and he's learned. He's a good hafiz. He's a good reciter. And he comes into an area or let's say he moves into a small little town. There's just one small masjid. There's no learned person there. He can approach them with no problem and say, look, this is me, I'm Hafid, I can recite like this, like this, like this. This is what I know. Make me the Imam. There's no problem with this. There's no problem with this. Especially if, like we said, he is the best person for the job. Then this is something that is definitely encouraged for him to do, to, to put himself forward. Generally speaking, we, we don't want to put ourselves forward and we have to fear for Riyah, showing off and so forth. Um... But even with the story of Nabi Yusuf, we find this. We Allah, he said about him, إِجَعَلْنِي عَلَىٰ خَزَائِنِ الْأَرْضِ إِنِّي حَفِيظٌ عَلِيمٌ In Surah Yusuf, Nabi Yusuf said, after he was in Egypt, he said, make me in charge of the, of the khazain, يعني the treasury. Put me in charge, because things were getting stolen, getting lost. And he said, إِنِّي حَفِيظٌ عَلِيمٌ I am hafiz, meaning I will protect it. I will look after it. And I'm alim, I'm, I have knowledge, I'm capable of it. And this is something, you see, he put himself forward. Because there was a need to fill that job, and he knew he had the capabilities of doing the job in the best possible manner. The same here in this issue. Tayyib, um, so the issue here is, as we said, the waliyul amr, the leader, put him in charge, hence, he must be in charge. We don't live in a Muslim state. We don't have a waliul amr. Nor do we have ministers who work for him, who are employed by him to do this role. So there's no Islamic body that, you know, has the power to say, look, this is the imam of the masjid. And nobody can say anything if this is, if this is done. He's been employed. He's been, uh, you know, given the duty. He has to fulfill the duty. What do we do? How do we choose an imam? How is it that we choose an imam? What's the criteria that we look for? What's the, what's the most important thing rather, should I say? Should, there is a difference of opinion on this issue, and perhaps it will come later in, in the book, but should the imam be the most knowledgeable person? So you take the biggest alim, he is the imam. Or should the imam be the best reciter? You understand? Two different things here. And what do we mean by Imam? What do I mean in this context where we speak about yani, the Imam of the Masjid? Now what do I mean by Imam? Leader of the Masjid. Okay, that, that again could mean various things. Sometimes the Imam is the one who gives the khutbah. You understand? On, on Jumu'ah, he's the Imam. And sometimes, okay, it depends on the culture as well. Right? And sometimes there's a daily imam. Depends on the culture, depends on the agreement. Where there's somebody who comes in and leads the daily salawat. And then you get a different person who comes in on a Friday to give the khutbah. So there's a difference here. Ala kulli hal, there are two views. Some ulama say 
that the imam should be the most knowledgeable person. The one with the, the most knowledge. He must be the leader. He must be the one who stands in front for salah. The issue here is more standing in front for salah. We are talking about the imam of the salah. Um, and some ulama say it should be the, the best reciter. It should be the best reciter. And this seems to be the best view. The most correct view is the best reciter should lead the salah. And not necessarily the most knowledgeable person. Not necessarily the, the most knowledgeable person. Um, the Prophet said, Ya Ummul Qawm Aqra'uhum li kitabillah. The one who leads the people should be the one who is the best reciter of the Book of Allah. Aqra'uhum li kitabillah. He did not say A'lamuhum, the most knowledgeable of them. He said Aqra'uhum, the one who is best in his dissertation. If you look at the time of the Sahaba, this also was done. Ubay ibn Ka'b was sent as an Imam. He was a good reciter. They didn't send Abu Bakr or Umar necessarily to be the, to lead the Salah. They became the Khalifa, something different. And because they were the Khalifa, they would usually lead the Salah, yes. But if there was a need in a masjid to send somebody to lead the Salah, they would choose the, the best reciters and send them to lead the Salah. So this is another evidence that is used. But like I say, perhaps this Mas'ala will come on. Later on we can discuss it a bit more. Um, Tayyib. So if we were to choose somebody to lead the salah, we should try and choose the best reciter to lead the salah and Allah knows best. Another benefit of the hadith is we need to pay attention and look at those who are weaker rather than those who are stronger. And this makes complete sense. If you're going to look at those who are eager and determined and full of energy and young, we lengthen the salah. Those who are older or younger, as in young in age, or those who are weak, or those who are struggling, they're going to be harmed by the salah. So this is of course not what we are looking for. We want to look after the whole jama'ah. So we make the salah at a good pace. Not rushed, but not too long either. So that nobody is harmed by this. As for those who want to stand long in salah, they have qiyamul layl. They have the qiyamul layl where they can pray in length, walhamdulillah. So we need to pay attention to those who are weaker, this is pointed out clearly by the hadith. Um, another benefit is that it is best for the mu'adhin not to take a stipend. It's best for the mu'adhin not to take a stipend. Rather, he does this action sincerely for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. All of his reward in this adhan is where? In the, for the akhirah. Nothing for the dunya. He just makes adhan so Allah gives him the best of the best in the akhirah. Um, and this is, is best in every case, in any dini issue. If you can do it since just purely lillahi ta'ala, without any wealth, without any taking of a stipend, then this is always good. This is always best. Right? But does this mean it's not permissible? Is the hadith saying it's haram for the mu'addin to take a stipend? We say this is what is best. And... If he is in need of the stipend, then he should be able. To, then he should be given a stipend. This is point. This is one the issue. Secondly, he should not be someone who demands a stipend. This is also not permissible. That he comes forth and he says, "I demand a stipend." 
And if you don't give me this much, I'm not going to give the adhan. Get somebody else. Now, this is clearly that he's not doing this for the sake of all. This is clearly doing it just as a job. Now, this becomes a worldly affair and not a dunyawi, or sorry, an akhirawi affair. Are you with me? This is also not on that the Imam says or the Mu'addin says, if you don't give me so much, I don't give this, I don't make the adhan. Or you won't find me half the time. I only come to give the adhan when I feel like it, or half the time, half the salahs. Every second day, this is not permissible. This is not how it should work either. If there's a need for him to earn, he should be given something. If that is not sufficient, he should find a different job. He should find a job. You understand? And, and try and earn money where he can. But for him to demand money and put a condition and say, look, I'm not going to do this until you pay me. Until you do this, this is also not, not on. At the same time, he should be given something reasonable. Something reasonable for his time and for his efforts. Um, so this is something that's important. <coughs> yani, he should not be someone who insists on payments, on increase in payments, on bigger payments, and puts conditions on it. If he doesn't get, no adhan, no salah. This is not how this should work. Right? This is not how it should work. Um... So we say that he can get a a wage or a recompensation for his time, his efforts. This is something that is um, permissible, but he should not stipulate and say, if you don't give me more, I'm not going to give the adhan. If you don't give me this, then my adhan is based on the wealth. My adhan is for the money. Then this is not, not what's what is required. In that case, you can rather get somebody else who is not that dependent on the money. And if he is completely dependent, he should be covered. He should be covered by the those who are in charge of the masjid. Um, even in terms of the Baytul Mal in a Muslim state, it's permissible to give from the Baytul Mal to those who are looking after the general affairs of the Ummah. Like the Imam of the Masjid, like the Mu'addin, like the teachers, like those who are doing khutbas, those who are doing da'wah work. They are looking after the affairs of the ummah. So the money of the ummah should be spent on them. They should be given money. At the end of the day, they need to live and survive. They have families. So they should be given and they should go out and do their thing. But to insist on more and more and more, this is something that is not um, befitting. That at the same time, like I say, to give him next to nothing, and expect him to do the job, this is also, you know, silliness and foolishness because eventually he's going to walk away and find something else. So this has to go both ways, basically. It has to go both ways and Allah knows best. Our next hadith is narrated by Malik ibn al-Huwayrith radiallahu anhu who said, قَالَ لَنَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ Said the Prophet said to us, إِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ الحديث. In a lengthy hadith, or part of the hadith that he mentions, the Prophet said to him, If it's time for salah, then one of you should give the adhan. Then one of you should give the adhan. This hadith is in the seven books. All seven books. طيب. Firstly, 
the background to this hadith is Malik ibn al-Huwayrith he came and he visited Rasulullah sallallahu with about 20 people with him from his town they came spent some time in Al-Madina with the Prophet sallallahu they were there for approximately 20 days more than three weeks basically or just under three weeks um, and the Prophet sallallahu after 20 days of them being in Medina with him, he noticed, he noticed that these people were longing for home. They left their families, they left their homes, um, and he could see that they were, you know, they were longing for home and their families. So out of his mercy and his kindness towards them, he said to them, Irji'u ila ahlikum fa'allimuhum wa addibuhum. He said to them, Go back to your families now. Go back home. Go to your families. And fa'allimuhum. Now point number one is, go back, go back and teach them. You obviously came here, you learned. You spent time with the Prophet You saw the Sahaba, the best of the Sahaba. You watched them, you noticed their deeds. After all of this, now you go home and you teach your people. Go home and teach your families. This is number one. Then, وَأَدِّبُوهُمْ And discipline them. Discipline them. Yani teach them manners, teach them akhlaq, teach them discipline. And at the same time, they need to be punished, you punish them. If they are not listening, the, the youngsters, they can be punished, they can be disciplined. But first and foremost, teach them and then discipline them. This is, this is a, a tarbiya benefit. That when we raise our kids and we have, it's about teaching them first. First teaching, 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 then we discipline them if they are not conforming. It's not about disciplining first, and that is my, my means of teaching. You understand? The Prophet ﷺ said, teach them, and then you discipline them. So then he added some extra advice, and he said to them, it's part of the hadith, he said to them, إِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ So if it's time for salah, let one of you give the adhan. And one of you should um, give the adhan. These people then went back to the city, uh, and left the Prophet They went back as teachers. They went back as people who studied, learned for 20 days. They went back now to teach whatever they knew and to enact whatever the Prophet sent them home with. Um, so Ibn Uthaymin says that the hadith here doesn't mention the one who is most befitting to give the adhan. Doesn't actually mention who should give the adhan, but it does mention the one who should give the, who lead the salah. And it is, وَأَحَقُّهُمْ بِالْإِمَامَةَ أَقْرَأُهُمْ Again, another proof. The one who's most befitting to lead the salah is the best reciter. Is the one who knows the most Quran. This is the one who should lead the, lead the salah. As for the adhan, it's not mentioned. So how do we choose the mu'addin? How do we choose who gives the adhan? So, firstly, it should be someone who knows the waqt. Now again, back then, there was no timetables. So it's not, wasn't that easy. They needed somebody who knew when it's asr. When Zuhr has now started, when it ends. Understand? Now it's a lot easier. So firstly, well, the first condition of ulama said is someone who knows the times and who, who can clearly see that and, and understand when the times of salah come in. 
and he must be someone that's trustworthy. Right? Someone that's not a foolish individual that, you know, catches on nonsense. He just does his own thing from time to time and he's a bit negligent from time to time. You need someone who is trustworthy, who's strict, who's, you know, he's, he knows the work and he follows it strictly. And we need someone who has the most appropriate of voices. It needs to be a naturally melodious, beautiful, loud voice. Right? So remember, the issue of the Adhan is not about melody. It's not about singing. It's not about um, pulling very long and how long your breath is. And this again is missing the point of the Adhan. We spoke about this last week or the week before, that the Adhan is prohibited that we do the Adhan by with Talheen, with using yani, melodious sounds and melodiousness. This is actually prohibited by the Sharia. So it should be a simple Adhan. Simple, but a person with a nice voice, it still sounds nice. It still sounds good. This is something that we should try and oh, these are some of the ways that we should choose the Mu'adhin and Allah knows best. So some of the benefits of the Hadith is that the Adhan is not permissible before, before the time starts. The Hadith says, When Salah comes in, when it's time for Salah, then you give the Adhan. Yani you can't give the Adhan before the time. Um, secondly, it shows us the importance of Salah as well. Hence, yani even the Adhan is Fard. Not just the Salah, the Adhan itself is Fard. Because the Hadith says, which is a command. When it's time for Salah, one of you should or must give the Adhan. Um, Another benefit you see is it's wajib upon the Mu'addin to raise his voice when he gives the Adhan such that those who are listening or those who are supposed to be listening that they can hear. It's not, many ulama say it's a rukan of the Adhan that you raise your voice. It's not permissible to give the Adhan softly or just audibly. You have to raise your voice so that people can hear you, um, especially those in the area who are supposed to hear you. The Adhan is not just Fard, it is Fard Kifaya. Fard Kifaya, of course, that if somebody does it, then nobody in that area is sinful and, and nobody else needs to do it. If um, it's not done, then everybody could be sinful and Allah knows best. Lastly, he says here, La Buddha min Islam in Mu'adhin, the Mu'adhin has to be a Muslim. The Mu'adhin has to be a, a Muslim. It's an Ibadah. An Ibadah must be done by people of Islam, by the Muslimin. طيب. The next hadith from Jabir radiallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Prophet said to Bilal إِذَا أَذَّنْتَ فَتَرَسَّلْ وَإِذَا أَقَمْتَ فَحْدُرْ وَجْعَلْ بَيْنَ أَذَانِكَ وَإِقَامَتِكَ قَدْرَ مَا يَفْرُغُ الْآكِلُ مِنْ أَكْلِهِ الْحَدِيثِ رواه الترمذي وضعفه حديثنا الترمذي and he said the hadith is weak the hadith is weak However, even though the hadith is weak, the ulama still use the hadith. Because the meaning of the hadith is correct. The meaning of the hadith makes sense and it's in line with the principles of the, of the sharia. What does the hadith say? The Prophet ﷺ said to Bilal, when you give the adhan, fatarassal. What does fatarassal mean? Fatarassal means take your time. Stop after every uh, 
word or statement. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Stop. And again, and again, you understand? Take your time with the adhan. Raise your voice with the adhan. So that those who hear the adhan have enough time to prepare, to get done and come to the masjid. Or somebody misses the beginning of the adhan, they might still catch the end. Because the adhan is prolonged. Understand? Fatarassal. So when you take, when you give the adhan, fatarassal. وَإِذَا أَقَمْتَ فَحْدُرْ When you give the iqama, then don't prolong. Just finish it up quickly. And you just do it normal. You understand? Just do it at a normal pace. We don't say speed through, but just do it. You understand? Fahdur, get it done quickly. Over and done with. It should not be prolonged. Why? The iqamah is for those who are there in the masjid. The iqamah is not for those who are coming from the house. The iqamah are for those people. The iqamah is for those people who are in the masjid. It's just to tell them, come, you're starting the salah. Wherever you are sitting in the masjid, form the sufuf, stand up, come. And let's, let's pray. The, so there's no need to prolong it. You understand? As opposed to the adhan. The adhan is to call everybody to come. Hence it should be prolonged. It gives everybody a chance to hear the adhan. It gives everybody a chance to respond with enough time. طيب, um, and then it says, وَاجْعَلْ بَيْنَ أَذَانِكَ وَإِقَامَتِكَ مِقْدَارَ مَا يَفْرُغُ الْآكِلُ مِنْ أَكْلِهِ And then it says, and have between the adhan and the iqamah a time period. So after the adhan, it should be a, a waiting period before the iqamah starts. How long should this period be? Okay. The hadith says here that it should be enough time for the one who's eating to finish his food. Ibn Uthaymin adds on to it and he says, for example, also for the one who's taking wudu, to finish up. For the one who's, you know, uh, refreshing himself, to finish up. And so forth. Also, we can add to this and say, for the one who is making sunnas. To have enough time to make the sunnah salahs, the ratibah, right? The, the sunnas which are attached to, attached to the, the fard. He must have enough time to finish up and pray. And then go and make the fard. So there should be a time before the iqamah. It shouldn't be a rush. I think this is a... Coming from Saudi, this is something that is lacking in the masajid over here. You know, in Saudi, when they make the adhan, you got at least 20 minutes before you get to the masjid, and then only the fard starts. In Saudi, in most of the masajid, you got at least 20 minutes before the salah starts. So if you, if you hear the adhan, you can go to the bathroom, freshen up, take wudu, go put on your thobe, you can make sunnah at home. You can make your sunnah at home, walk to the masjid, and still get the fard, the beginning of the fard. Because they give you enough time. Right? And also time for dua. Time for dua, which we are going to speak about. So, there is wisdom in this. There is definitely wisdom in this. The hadith is weak. But as we can see, it's in line with the general understanding and the principles of the sharia. Hence, the ulama use this hadith in any case. So, um, this pays attention to the needs of the people. Like I said over here, you hear the adhan. If you go to the bathroom, you use the toilet and you freshen up, you take wudu, by the time you're done, the salah is finished in the masjid. By the time you get to the masjid, the salah will be finished. Because literally it's 
10 minutes. And not, also it's not 10 minutes after the Adhan. It's 10 minutes from the time the waqt comes in. So let's say that 7 p.m. is Maghrib. They make the Adhan at, in fact, Maghrib they don't wait. In Cape Town, Maghrib, there's no time. As soon as the Adhan's finish, Iqama, and they make Maghrib. Am I right? No time. If you hear the Adhan of Maghrib and you don't respond instantly, you will miss the Salah. There's no time to take wudu and then go. If you take wudu and then go, you miss the salah, you might as well just make it home. You know, well, I don't say make it home, but you get there, you'll have to make it the back of the masjid. You know, so this is something that's, yani it's not befitting, it doesn't take people's needs into consideration. People could be busy with something, eating, having supper. It makes things, it actually turns people away from the masjid, in a way. So, Isha, let's say Isha starts at 8 p.m., the man gives the adhan. He finishes at two minutes, three minutes past. But the ten minutes they count is from? From the 8 p.m. So by ten past, he's done. So by the time the adhan finishes, only five minutes and then they start the fart. Are you with me? It's very much rushed. Very much rushed. You make two raka'at in the time, the next thing you know, the imam's ready. or the iqam has been given. So this is something that can be changed, I believe. Yes, we don't want to make things too delayed so people feel that it's taking too long. But at the same time, we need to have a, a decent amount of time so that people can, you know, get ready, those who are slightly busy and so forth. The hadith mentions that the one who's eating, let him have enough time to finish. This takes 5-10 minutes perhaps, 10 minutes, let's, let's say, at least 10-15 to 15 minutes, let him finish up. Because if he has to leave his food... Halfway through, that could be a distraction for him. And this hadith will come as well. That the hadith about eating and your food, when it's time for salah, that you should not actually leave your food. Because why? If you get to the salah, you're sitting and you're going to be thinking of your food. That's going to be distracting for you. You know? Um, and so if you might end up rushing, you might end up not focusing, and so forth. So this is something that needs to be thought about. So what's best is that we have a set time. We just make a set time. Like we have here, but it can be a bit longer. A set time after every adhan, they will wait for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then the salah will start. So people know, this is how much time I have. If I hear the adhan, I have enough time to get done and go. You understand? Um, so they are not... And the other problem is, we don't stick to the time. So sometimes you get to the masjid 10 minutes and they already made salah. So you're thinking, but you didn't wait. You know, it's, it's actually wrong upon them. They're supposed to wait the time that they are supposed to wait. It's actually wrong upon them not to wait. Now it's like you're deceiving people. Understand? So this is also important that we have a time and the, the masjid must stick to that time. The masjid must stick. If they delay it slightly, no problem. But to hurry it up, this is not good because people expect that time. Perhaps the man is making sunnah at home. And then you rush the salah, you get the mustafarat. This is, you know, you are, this is not, this is of course not, not right. Um, what's the ruling on iqama and salah using a microphone? Sorry, not a microphone, speakers. The outside speaker system. The adhan, we know this is obviously good. As for the iqama, 
Okay. What about the salah? Right, again, Ibn Uthaymin says that it's not befitting if you have the salah over loudspeakers. Because what's the point of it? It's not for those sitting at home. In fact, it could be a disturbance for them. Like they say, there's women praying at home and you're listening to the Imam, his recitation loud over the loudspeaker. She can't follow the, the, the salah. So she's supposed to be making salah and now, you understand, it becomes a bit of a distraction. If you go to Saudi again, a lot of the masajid, they make salah like this, with, la- with the loudspeakers on. So the Imam recites with the speakers that are, you know, loud, is blaring through the streets. So is there any benefit in it? Allah knows best. Maybe some people hear it and rush to the masjid. I don't know why they do it. What's the wisdom in it? No, Maybe. It Look, the haram, I would say, is different. The haram is different because people are standing in the streets making salah. Streets, yeah. so that's something different. That's the so the haram is different. right? The harams have many rulings that are specific to the haram, especially Makkah. So that is something different where people are making salah all around, in through the streets, in the malls. The sufuf is all connected. So loudspeaker we can understand. So they can all listen and hear. But a small masjid, there's five sufuf in the masjid and the speakers are loud in the streets. I don't know if there's any real benefit to it. The sheikh here says no. His, his opinion is no. Maybe others see some benefit in it. Allah knows best. The adhan, of course, we say yes. Iqama and, and salah. There's no requirement um, really. Um, the next hadith from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala la yu'adhinu illa mutawaddi wa da'afahu ayda Imam Tirmidhi also says that the hadith is weak what does it say? nobody should give the adhan except if he is in a state of wudu except if the person has wudu right? but the hadith is inauthentic so we don't take this as a ruling we don't take it as a a ruling Yani we say, there has to be proof to say that you must take, have wudu when you make salah. Yani, so what am I saying? There must be an evidence or a proof to state that you need wudu to make the adhan. But there is no authentic proof for this, so we do not say this. And there is no problem if a person has no wudu, is not in a state of wudu, and he gives the adhan. Obviously, it's best to be in wudu. The general rule is, it's always best to be in a state of wudu when you remember Allah. In the ibadah. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, كَانَ يَذْكُرُ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ أَحْيَانِهِ The Prophet ﷺ used to remember Allah in every state of his. And it's always best to be in a state of wudu. Um, what about the person in junub? The person in the state of junub? Why not? Must be pure for Adhan. He's calling people to pray. But he's not in a state of Salah, he's giving Adhan. It's not a state of Salah. I don't 
So again, Junub, there's no evidence to say that he cannot give the Adhan. So we say instead of Junub, he's allowed to give the Adhan. What about him being in the masjid? Right? So what does he do? If he's the Imam, he's the, he's the Mu'addin, it's his job. He's got two options. Either he sends someone else to do it, or he can take wudu. A person who's in the state of Junub, takes wudu, can sit in the masjid. Come salah, but he can sit in the masjid. In that case, we say to him, take wudu, go in the masjid, make the adhan, go out, take your ghusl. But there's no problem for the one who has junub to give the adhan, and Allah knows best. Uh, also from Ziyad ibn al-Harith, anhu, he said that Rasulullah said, Whoever gives the adhan, he must also give the iqamah. Whoever gives the adhan, he must also do the iqamah. Hadith is also weak. Tayyib, um, what does the hadith teach us? Give the adhan, you must do the iqamah. It's weak, but this was also done by Bilal. Bilal radi anhu gave the adhan and the iqamah. He gave the adhan and the iqamah. So there's no problem necessarily for two different people to do it. But we could say it's best if one person does it the way Bidar Rajanhu did it. Um, in another hadith from in Abu Dawood from Abdullah ibn Zaid that he said, Ana ra'itu yani al-adhan wa ana kuntu uriduhu. This hadith we spoke about. This hadith is also weak, by the way. The authentic version we spoke about of how the adhan was legislated. Remember? A man saw a dream. In the tawaf, he heard a man reading the adhan. He went to the Prophet the next day and said, this is what he saw in his dream. The Prophet said, he made it part, he said, go teach it to Bilal. Or go teach it to Ibn Umm Maktoum. No, it was Bilal, sorry. Bilal. And Bilal, he's under salt, he had a better voice. So Bilal went and he gave the adhan. Right? This version of the hadith is a weak version. This version says, I saw the adhan in my dream. وَأَنَا كُنْتُ أُرِيدُهُ This one says that the narrator says, I desired to give the adhan. قَالَ فَأَقِمْ أَنْتَ So the hadith says to him, you stand up and you do the iqamah. He says he wanted to do the adhan, but he was told to do the iqamah. But what did I just say? Bilal is to do both. That's authentically narrated. This here is a weak narration. And it contradicts the authentic narration as well. Understand? So he did not do the iqamah. Rather Bilal did the iqamah. So this is weak and we do not accept this. Um, however, it's permissible to have two different people as we said. Unless it's going to cause chaos and issues. Whether one's going to be upset with the other and the, then obviously no. Right? If you can have one imam doing both on one day and the next day and so forth, no problem. Yani it's, it's broad in scope. It's broad in scope and Allah knows best. From Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he said, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-Mu'adhinu amlaku Abu Hurairah, that Rasulullah said, the Mu'addin is the one in charge of the Adhan. And the Imam is the one in charge of the Iqamah. The Mu'addin is in charge of the Adhan, 
and the Imam is in charge of the Iqama. Narrated by Ibn Adi, who said the hadith is weak. Um, although it's also narrated by Bayhaqi in a different book, that Ali who said this. It was him that said these words. And this is actually a strong chain of narration. So, what do we learn? That the Adhan belongs to the Mu'adhin. What does that mean? That it's his right. He's the Mu'adhin. He should be there, ready to give the Adhan. On time. This doesn't mean he can give Adhan any time. Before the time or late. No, he must give the Adhan on time. He must be able again, because back in the day, he had to know the times of Salah. So he had to know, look, it's now Fajr, I give the Adhan. It's now Dhuhr, I give the Adhan, and so forth. Right? Today, things are a bit different. Again, but he needs to be on time. He needs to be strict. That the Adhan must be given on time. And it belongs to him, meaning, nobody can just walk in and decide, he's going to give the Adhan. The Mu'adhin gives the Adhan. He owns the Adhan. So, unless you ask his permission, or he says to you, Faddal, you give the Adhan today, no problem. Then it's fine. You understand? But otherwise, the Adhan belongs to, to the Mu'adhin. Right? And the Iqama belongs to the Imam. What does this mean? The Im- what, what does the Imam choose? Who can make iqama? Not necess- this is not what's meant by the hadith. This is not necessarily what's meant. Yes, the imam can choose. It means nobody can give the iqama until the imam says, now you can give the iqama. I understand? So let's say 10 minutes goes by. The imam is there. And he's still making dhikr. He's still reciting some Quran. The mu'adhin can't stand up and say, hey, 10 minutes is up. No, he has no right to do that. The Imam can stop him right then and say, Whoa, did I say you can give the Iqama? The Iqama belongs to the Imam. The Mu'adhin has no right to just give the Iqama. Are you understanding? So the Imam must give the go-ahead. Then they can make the Iqama. The Iqama belongs to the Imam. Not to the time, not to the Mu'adhin, not to the Masjid Committee, not to anybody. It belongs to the the Imam of the Masjid. So, um, in the time of the Prophet as well, Sahaba used to wait for him. When he came in, Salah time, now they stood up. Really, made the Sufuf, somebody gave the Iqama. Even for Isha, there was a day they waited long into the night, late hours. Somebody went to his door and said, Prophet Salah, they're waiting, you know. Obviously, we said he'd like to delay it at times. He came out and they prayed. They waited and they waited for the Imam. Nobody just decided, look, he's 20 minutes late. Stand up and give the, and lead the salah. Okay, yes, things are a bit different now. We can't wait two hours for the Imam. That's also not befitting. So what should happen is, we should wait for the Imam. If the Imam is expected to come, we should wait. If the time period is by, is gone, you should be found. Are you nearby? Are you close by? Doesn't pick up? Then we start the salah. Because we can't also wait forever. Um, if he lives nearby and there's 2-3 minutes left, somebody should go next door and say, Are you coming? Are you there? You're not there? 
and so forth. This is actually what Ibn Uthaymi says should happen because he is in charge of that salah. You understand? He is in charge of the salah. So that's really important to understand. And sometimes people neglect this. People just walk in and they say, right, this time, start. The imam comes in and he stands at the back. This is not, this is not right. This is not befitting. Um, and this happened in the time of the Prophet where uh, he came in late one day with Mughira ibn Shu'ba. He was busy with the sulh issue. And when he came in, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu was leading the salah. He stood behind them in salah and he made with them. And he said to them, Asabtum wa ahsantum. He said to them, you did the right thing. And well done, ahsant, ahsantum. Because they waited and the person never came and they realized he was busy. He wasn't there, he was doing other things. So they carried on with the salah. So the same here with us. We should wait for the imam. If the imam does not come and it's getting late, we start the salah. So I think we have to work in a customary manner. That look, the salah usually starts after 10 to 15 minutes. The imams, um, they come from far. They come, they don't live in the masjid. If again, if you look at Saudi, for example, a lot of the imams, not all, but a lot of the imams, they are given a house next to the masjid. Or part of the masjid, like a quarters that's attached to the masjid. So for them to come to the masjid five times a day, is very easy. They just take a two minute, not even two second walk and they enter the masjid. But if he's not there, all it takes for the ma'adhin to look outside, his car's not there, he's not here. And they make the salah. In our system over here, it's a bit different. Because... I don't know about other masajid, but the masajid I frequent, a lot of the imams are not there most of the time because they're busy doing other things. You understand? So maybe Dhur they're not there, Asr they're not there. So what happens? We can't wait. You can't call him every what? He's not here. Someone next stands in and, we, and the salah has to continue. But ultimately, if the imam is present, the, the iqama belongs to him. And nobody can take it away from him. Even if he delays the salah by a bit and is there, you have to wait for him. And Allah knows best. Any questions on this? What's a bigger responsibility? Ibn Uthaymin asked. The adhan or the salah? In one way it's the adhan. Because the adhan must be done on time, in the right time. Right? And this obviously carries with it time for salah. And also fasting, but to stop eating or start eating, it's a big responsibility. And from another angle, the imam's job is also a bigger responsibility because he's got to lead the people in salah. He needs to know how to make salah almost perfectly. He should recite properly. He used to make salah according to the sunnah. Salu kama ra'itmuni isalli. He used to make salah the way the Prophet made salah. Fulfill the shurut and the arkan and the wajibat of salah and so forth. Right? This is important that he knows how to do all of this. Uh, so both of them have a, a great responsibility when it comes to leading the ummah. The next hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, He said that the dua between the adhan and the qama is never rejected or is not rejected. The dua between the adhan and the qama is not rejected. Right? This is extremely gentle. Any time between Adhan and Iqama, Dua is accepted. It's a time when Dua is Mustajab. 
dua between the adhan and iqamah. So that 10 to 15 minutes, you sit and you make dua. Does this mean you rush your tahiyyah to masjid and make dua? Should you do that? Make time for the dua? Yes? No? What's the, the best thing to do is make salah and make the dua in the salah? Because you're still in the time. So you make tahiyyah to masjid in that time, you are still in the time where duas are accepted. So you can make the dua in the salah, it's even better. In the sujood, it's even better. Between the sajdas, it's even better. Between or at the end of the taslim, the tashahada before the taslim, make dua. This is something perfect, excellent. You understand? No need to give up the, the salah or for the dua. Um, naam. Any good dua in that time is accepted by Idhni Ta'ala. In the salah, it's also accepted by Idhni Ta'ala. So this is something that, this is an encouragement on the Prophet to take heed and take use of that time, to make use of that blessed time and not to sit and chat, because that also happens. Adhan goes after the Adhan, we chat with each other until it's Iqama. This is actually not befitting, we are missing out on a great opportunity to make um, Dua. Any questions? From Jabir radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah sallallahu said, Man qala hina yasma'u nida, this is the last hadith for the evening. Allahumma rabba hadihi da'wati tama wa salati al-qa'ima ati muhammadan il-wasilata wal-fadila wa ba'athu maqamu mahmudan il-ladhi wa'attahu. Hallat lahu shafa'ati yawma al-qiyamah. Akhrajahu al-arba'ah. Um, Rasulullah said, whoever says when he hears the adhan, the dua, that we just recite, we all know the dua, insha'Allah. Allahumma rabba hadihi da'wati tama wa salati al-qa'ima ati muhammadan il-wasilata wal-fadila wa ba'athu maqama mahmudan il-ladhi wa'attah. That's the dua. No. Wa sharafu daraja? No. Wa arzuqana shafa'atu mak? No. Cut that out. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. The only one that we will I'll mention is inna There's difference of opinion. There's difference of opinion. Some ulama say say it. Some ulama say don't say it. But there is a hadith that mentions it. There is a hadith that mentions it. So if somebody says it, no problem. If somebody doesn't say it, no problem. Understand? Good. Um, first and foremost, another important point on this hadith. There's this hadith and there's another hadith. Right? We need to combine them to get the proper understanding. This hadith here says whoever hears the adhan and says the dua, what's his reward? He will get the shafa'a of the Prophet on Qiyamah. The Prophet said, You will get my shafa'a on Qiyamah. Right? So, what the hadith means is, whoever hears the entire adhan, not just the beginning, he has to hear the entire adhan. Because this is what is explained by the other hadith. Right? In the other hadith, man qala mithla ma yaqul mu'adhin. Whoever says, like the mu'adhin said, which means, he repeats after the mu'adhin. We spoke about that before, how to repeat. Right? Allah Akbar Allah, you say Allah Akbar. Allah, you say Allah Salah, you say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. Hayal falah, you say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. You spoke about this last week. 
Fajr, he says, Asalat khair min al-nawm, you say, Asalat khair min al-nawm, and to the end. So this hadith says, Man qala mitla yakmayqul mu'adhin, whoever says, like the mu'adhin says, i.e. he repeats after the mu'adhin, thumma salla ala al-nabi, sallallahu then he sends salutations upon the Prophet sallam. ثم سأل الله الوسيلة للرسول صلى الله عليه حلت له الشفاعة. That's hadith in Sahih Muslim. And then he asks Allah for the wasila for the Prophet sallam. Then he will get the shafa. So three things are mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, which is number one, you have to say what the muadhin said. Okay. Number two is you have to. What's the second thing I said? You have to send salutations upon the Prophet So when you say La ilaha illallah, you say La ilaha illallah. You now need to say after you La ilaha illallah, you need to say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. For example, you need to send salutations upon the Prophet So you can say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or whichever way. Right? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad and then you say the dua for granting the Prophet wasila, which is Allahumma Rabba Hadihi Dawati Tama, Wasalat al Qaima, Ati Muhammadanil, Wasila Tawal Fadila, Wabath Makamadi Wata. Then you get the Shafa'a. Then you get the Shafa'a. The point is you must hear the whole Adhan, you must repeat after the Mu'addin, then you must send salutations upon the Prophet. Then you must say the dua, and then you get this reward of the shafa'ah. Are you understanding this? It's not just about reciting the dua. So you just listen to the end of the adhan, the mu'adhan says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, and you say, Allahumma rabbah hadhi da'wati ta'ama wa salat. No problem, but the reward of the shafa'ah, of the intercession of the Prophet has to be fulfilled by these three things. You have to hear the whole adhan, repeat after the adhan, Send salutations upon the Prophet and then make the dua. And then make the dua. Is this understood? Which means if you don't repeat after the Mu'addin, this is not written for you. Huh? If you don't send salutations upon the Prophet then this is not written for, for you. Okay, because that's what the Hadith in Sahih Muslim says. This is actually sign is not mentioned, I just realized. And I'll mention it at the end. Tayyip, so we make this dua at the end, which is a, a dua, uh, the wording of the dua. Allahumma, O oh Allah, Rabba hadihi da'wati tama. O oh Allah, you are the Lord of the, this perfect call. Rabba hadihi da'wati tama. You are the Lord of this perfect call. What is the perfect call? What is the perfect call you're talking about? The Adhan. Allahumma rabba hadihi da'wati tama. You are the Lord of this perfect call. Yani of the Adhan. Because we're speaking about the Adhan. Is the Adhan perfect? Is it complete? Yes, it is. It speaks about the greatness of Allah. Allahu Akbar Allah. It speaks about the Shahada of Tawheed. It speaks about the Shahada of the Messenger of the Prophet. It's an invite to Salah, invite to your success. Go back to speaking about Allah's greatness. And the kalimat of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. This is a dua of perfection, a perfect call, right? Oh Allah, you are the Lord of this dua. This dua comes from you 
you are the one that is the Lord of this dua. Um, وَالصَّلَاةِ الْقَائِمَةِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْقَائِمَةِ And you are the Lord of this salah which is about to be established. After the adhan, the salah. The adhan which is about the salah which is about to be established. Some ulama have a different understanding of this part. They say that um, what's meant by salat al-qa'imah is the standing that we are going to do. This perfect standing. So not the establishment of the salah but the perfect Standing of guidance, where we stand in front of you, where we make sujood and ruku and we recite, and this is what the, yani both have, both meanings could be true. Salatil qa'imah, either it means the standing we're about to engage in, the perfect standing of salah, or it means this current salah that we're about to establish. Both meanings make sense. Ati Muhammadanil wasilata wal fadila. Ati means and give. Muhammad. Muhammad the wasilah. Give him the wasilah. What is the wasilah? Not the intercession. The wasilah here is the level in Jannah. The wasilah here means the level in Jannah that no person will get except for Rasulullah. The highest part in Jannah. Nobody will get except for the Prophet. It's the highest part in, in Jannah. So give him this wasila, which is that highest point in Jannah. Wal fadila, and give him this fadila, which is honor. Give him that honor. Um, so which is him? He is honored. Right? Allah has honored him because not just does he get the highest place in Jannah, he also has the highest status. Understand? We give him the highest status and the highest position. This is what you are asking Allah to give the Prophet And give him the maqaman mahmuda. The maqaman, that station which is mahmud. It's praised. It's perfect. It's honored. Pro give him this maqaman mahmuda which you promised him. الذي وعدته which you promised him um, what is the honored station what is the maqam mahmuda this is the intercession this is the great intercession of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam it will happen on the day of qiyamah no water no shade no food no no clothing huh on that day Everybody will be raised in front of Allah. What does Allah say? فَإِذَا نُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ فَلَا أَنْسَابَ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذٍ وَلَا يَتَسَأَلُونَ Allah says when the trumpet is blown, there will be no lineage between the two, between you. No family ties. No lineage. لَا أَنْسَاب وَلَا يَتَسَأَلُونَ Nor will you ask about each other. You will not ask about your child. Your child will not ask about you. You will not ask about your sister, your brother, or your niece or your nephew. On that day, there is no lineage. There is no family ties. That's what the Quran says. Surah Mu'minun, verse 101. يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ Allah says, on that day, when that person will flee from his brother. 
wa ummihi wa abihi from his mother and his father wa sahibatihi wa banihi and from his companion and from his child likulli imrin minhum yawma idhin sha'nu yughni on that day allah says each one will be only concerned about his own affair you won't care about anybody you won't have a worry for any person except for yourself wallahu musta'an aisha radhiyallahu anhu she said wa sawata wa sawata she said how evil how how possible is possible men and women standing on one plane naked aisha thought about it she said we all be raised naked men and women standing on one plane naked she said wa sawata like how how is it you know uh, how bad can they how evil how the prophet said to her al amru ashaddu min an yahumhum dhalik she the matter will be so evil so not evil it will be so strict and so severe on them that won't even bother them you will stand naked in front of the whole of humanity the prophet she of course naturally she said wa sawata yani how imagine how can that be how can we stand like that the prophet said to her the issue on that day the affair on that day will be so severe that won't concern you you won't be concerned that the people around you are all naked and no one you'll be concerned that you have no clothes on that you are now standing exposed in front of all of humanity it won't concern you because you'll be more concerned about what my deeds am i successful what's going to happen am i being saved am i going to drown in my own sweat am i going to jahannam and 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 allah musta'an you won't be worried about your clothing or your aura for that matter and the people on that day what hell happened they will go around looking for help in their distress they are running around looking for somebody to help them and they go to who adam alayhi salam they go to who nuh ibrahim musa isa etc they get to adam adam says i ate from the tree the forbidden tree i was forbidden from this go i'm worried for myself go nafsi nafsi they get to nuh nuh said was i asked allah for something without knowledge subhanallah look what nuh is concerned about what did he ask allah where does this come in the quran in the 12th juz allah speaks about this nuh says when his son refused to listen his son went up and up the mountain and said i will climb no obviously spoke to him and said it's not going to work and what happened he made dua for him he said oh allah he's my son he's my family he's my children he's my child you know save him perhaps because of me ya nuh innahu laysa min ahlik innahu amalun ghayru salih nuh he's not your son he's not your family he is a person of evil deed and then allah rebuked him for asking about something for, or basically for speaking without knowledge and he immediately said a'iduka an takuna min al-jahil oh allah i seek refuge in you that i become of the jahilin of the ignorant ones Allah, don't make me of the ignorant ones. That I ask you this, out of my ignorance. Obviously, he was a man desperate for his son. He didn't mean it. Allah won't punish him for this. But Allah is telling him, this was your son, he refused to listen. I can't save him because of you. I can't save him. What about the others? He refused to listen just like them. He must be punished just like them. 
So don't ask me, this is, this is not a good question to ask. This is not exactly knowledgeable. So don't ask me about that which you do not know. Immediately Nuh said, I seek protection in you, Allah. I seek refuge in you and I become of the jahil. That will make me of them. Immediately I understood why Allah told him this. Makes sense. Nuh says to the people that day, I ask Allah for without knowledge. That's his worry. That's his stress. Allah musta'an. Nafsi, nafsi. Ibrahim alayhi salam. What does he say? I told three lies in my life. Three lies. Right? For example, what was the lie? With his wife. He said that she's his sister. His parents. When his, when his people, sorry. When they called him out. And he said what? Inni saqim. Quran mentions it. I'm sick. What was his plan? To destroy the idols. And he said, I'm sick. This was like a lie to him. Like this, he said, I told three lives in my, lies in my life. And this was a, a worry for Ibrahim. This is a stress upon the Anbiya. This was my sin. I sinned. Subhanallah, what about us? Musa alayhi salam, إِنَّهُ قَتَلَ نَفْسًا لَا مَرْبِقَتْلِهَا Musa, the people will go to Musa. Musa will say, I killed a man. And I was not instructed to kill him. We know the story, fight broke out, Musa struck the man, the man died. Musa made tawbah. The Quran says, we forgave him. Allah says in the Quran, we forgave Musa. Immediately Musa said, this was from shaitan, I make tawbah, Allah said we forgave him. Musa on that day will be so worried and scared, I killed the man. I wasn't supposed to kill him, I struck this man, I can't help you. He is more worried about his own sin. And... They'll get to Isa. Isa will also chase them away. Send them to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because he is the most honorable of them. They come to Muhammad. The slave which Allah forgave all of his sin. Past and future. Sinless. And they will ask him for shafa'ah. And he will give them shafa'ah. He will intercede for them. In front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah will accept his shafa'ah. This is shafa'atul kubra. The great intercession. That will happen on the day of Qiyamah. Right? This is Maqam al-Mahmudah. That honorable station Allah gives him on Qiyamah. Amongst all of insan. None of the prophets could help. But the Prophet was given a special status. Where he could help the, the Ummah of the, of, of the Prophet And this is Maqam al-Mahmudah. As Allah says in Surah Isra, Asa ayyaba'athaka rabbuka maqam al-Mahmudah. In another ayah Allah says, that perhaps I will give you and, and lift you to that station which I promised you. Which I, yani, perhaps, when Allah says perhaps, it means a promise. When Allah says perhaps, it means a promise. It means it will definitely happen. So this was what happened. That Allah then, this is why we say it's what Allah promised him. What you promised him in the Quran. There is the promise. Alhamdulillah. So, um, <coughs> Benefits of this hadith is that it is legislated to say this dua after every adhan. We say this dua after every adhan. Now, last week, it was mentioned about the adhan of Jumu'ah. That there are two adhans for Jumu'ah. Do we mention it after both adhans or only the one? Right? Um, and here Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he says, every adhan. Even the two adhans of Jumu'ah. And he actually goes into some detail here and he says that it's absolutely not befitting 
and not right that people say it's a bid'ah. That the one adhan is a, is a bid'ah. Now the adhan of Jumu'ah was always one adhan. In the Prophet's time, Abu Bakr's time, and Umar's time. In Uthman's era, he decided to make two adhans for Jumu'ah. He decided he will have a first adhan so people can come to the masjid and be reminded. Remember things were changing. People became more neglectful. And when they got to the masjid, there was another adhan slightly later on, just before the khutbah. So that first adhan was to wake the people up, bring them to the masjid, take them out of their trading and this and that. That was his reasoning behind it. So some ulama say that it's a bid'ah. It wasn't done by the Prophet Abu Bakr or Umar. So it was, it was an innovation. And we don't blame Uthman. This was easy ijtihad. This is what they say. Um, Ibn Uthaymin and others say this is not befitting to say this because this was Uthman's ijtihad, yes but all the Sahaba in his time accepted it they all accepted it, right? although I think there is a difference of opinion over this that there are some Sahaba who did not accept it if I remember reading this back in the day, I think it's Abdullah ibn Umar who had something to say about it and so forth anyways, majority or almost all of them accepted it Secondly, the Prophet said, "Alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnati al-khulafa' al-rashidin al-mahdiyin wa ba'di." Upon you is to follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the khulafa al-rashidin, the rightly guided caliphs who will come after me. And of this is of of course who, Uthman ibn Affan. So they believe it's actually something which is legislated because the Prophet said you must follow the khulafa, um, and because all the Sahaba accepted it. And this is why Ibn Uthaymin and others believe it is legislated for the second adhan. And, not just, and it should not be said that it is a, a bid'ah. It should not be said, this term should not be used for the, for the companion. Especially for the greatness of, of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. The one who doesn't hear this dua, or sorry the adhan, he does not have to recite this dua. He does not recite the dua. If you didn't hear the adhan, you do not recite the dua. Adding Sayyidina Muhammad to the dua. Ati Sayyidina Muhammad in Wasila. This is also a bid'ah. It's not found in the hadith, so do not do it. Right? The hadith, the way it's mentioned, is the best. You cannot add to the hadith and make it any better, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So next week, inshaAllah, we will start from Bab Shurut Salah. We will speak about the Conditions of Salah, insha'Allah ta'ala, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, shayru an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.